This morning we're going to be back in Revelation, and I can't believe we're in chapter 18 already. It's almost over, 22 chapters total. But if you remember, the title of the entire series in Revelation is called The Time is Near. The Time is Near, because I want us to remember even back then, that revelation, the time is near. Even if it takes another hundred years, it's going to be soon. If we remember John, the Apostle John, was exiled in the Isle of Patmos. It was like a prison island. The government didn't like him. Uh, but as he was spending time with the Lord, the Lord revealed to him these things that were uh, written down uh, about things to come, about things that were and are and are to come, as it was said. And really, Jesus in glory was revealed to him. In the beginning, it starts off with the seven churches, some were commended, others warned, and some were in great danger of even missing out on the good things God had for them. They are just churches in name only. And that should be sobering for us as believers that not everyone who claims to be a Christian, not every church that's even doing good works is really doing anything by the Spirit of God, right? It talks about the end of the world as we know it. I always think of that old REM song. Uh, there's the Great Tribulation, the seven years, the number of completion or perfection, that these numbers uh, is important that this is the last seven years uh, on earth before Jesus' thousand-year reign, which we'll see in another chapter or two. But we need to remember that this is God's wrath poured out, his judgment poured out on the nations, and really those who follow Satan. That God doesn't desire that any of us would perish, right? That we would come to salvation and forgiveness. But these are for the people who really have rejected that through all of history, and really, as we've seen in Revelation, have permanently rejected that, have willfully known the difference between God and Satan and chosen Satan. But I still believe because God is merciful and gracious that this is still a last-ditch effort to get the world, the world to repent. Why? Well, he didn't have to do it in seven years. He could have done it in a second. He also, as we'll look later, he sent the angels out again to proclaim the gospel, right? There's a, a remnant of believers that come to him, the tribulation saints. And even today, we'll see the light of his glory go out to the whole world. That God is giving people a last chance even if they actually can't accept it because they've taken the mark, I believe God is still gracious enough to still offer it to any uh, who had it and would take the, and, and show that he's good. But again, Revelation is the past, present, and future revealed. It is the end revealed. It is the church revealed. It is heaven revealed. We get a great look into heaven uh, and the spiritual world through Revelation. Uh, it is Jesus revealed. And last week, we looked at a place called Babylon revealed. And when we think of Babylon, we, uh, we tend to think, I don't know what you think, but we'll look more closely at that in a minute. Uh, but really, I think we don't have the same view of Babylon as the Jewish people did. The Jews knew exactly what Babylon was in their day. Uh, but we've seen a world in allegiance with a world leader. Uh, they've taken the mark. They've worshipped him. There have been many judgments, plagues, disasters. There were Christian martyrs in this days. You either... You know, if you accepted the Lord, it was basically a death sentence uh, in these days to come. There was no repentance. Like I said, anyone who took the mark would not repent. We haven't seen repentance time after time when there should have been repentance, when probably things that have happened in our lives that have brought us to repentance did not happen to them. Instead of repentance, they blasphemed God. Uh, we saw the seven bowls, the seven last plagues. Uh, we saw a world system last time, uh, Babylon, the mystery of Babylon. Uh, which was corrupted, uh, sexually immoral. The kings and the masses were all in cahoots with this world system. But if we remember Babylon, go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. If you remember in Genesis, the world came together, the world thought that it was special, and said, let's all ascend to heaven. We can be like God. We can ascend to God's throne. And they built a tower, and then God struck it down. 
and scatter them, said to go out into all the world, right? God doesn't want us all gathered together in one place. He wants us to fill the world, subdue it, right? Have our own space to live and not be on top of each other. There's a whole other message built into that. But that eventually the ancient Babylonian Empire came up over Iran and Iraq and uh, Syria and that area. They, they were a brutal empire. They enslaved the Jews. When they came to take the Jews out of their homeland, they put hooks in their jaws and hooked them all together with chains and dragged them out of the city. Uh, remember, Jonah went to Nineveh. That's the same region. Although Nineveh was a wicked city, Nineveh repented, right, when Jonah brought the gospel. And Jonah didn't want them to repent because they were so wicked. Uh, the religious system, the Zodiac. You guys know the Zodiac system? That has its origins in ancient Babylon. They worshipped the fish god, Dagon. If you remember Jonah, he was spit out of a whale, right? God was trying to reach them through that too. Uh, and if you can bear with me uh, on the conspiracy theory level here, the Pope's ring has Dagon on it. You know, I've never kissed his ring, so I don't know for sure, but that's what I understand. Uh, but in any event, we can back off from that a little bit. The world system, as the Bible describes it, is all these different cities, and it'll be a, a rebuilt religious system, a rebuilt world system back in full power at the end, both spiritual, economic, government, social, all into one. Uh, we talked about the Roman Empire going dormant and then coming back and how it's dormant now and kind of sustained in the, in the Catholic religion. Uh, but it's really going to be that this place that we're going to look at today is the throne of Satan on earth, right? We looked at that recently where it's, even Jesus would spoke that they were other cities where these powers and principalities exist and Satan's throne was there and darkness was thrown on it. Uh, again, we looked at Mystery of Babylon chapter 17 and this is, you can kind of see this as two Babylons, one a, a whole system and then this is an actual commercial center, an actual city. But I believe that they're really intertwined. It's just kind of looking at the same thing. Uh, Babylon could be the whole world system, and this would be the capital that we're going to look at today. Uh, but Lord, as we do look at your scripture, God, you're the one who can teach us it. God, we need you to teach us and show us your truth. And, and ultimately, God, all these things that we're going to look at, some weird, some strange, some familiar, some tragic. God, we want to see you through it all, God. So reveal yourself uh, to us through it and reveal, God, just speak to us each what we can do in our own lives, God, to just follow you more. Because uh, that's, that's all you want is us to be closer to you. And we ask, God, that anyone listening, even online, God, if they need you, they would turn to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go on. We're going to take chapter 18. It looks a little bit long, but we're going to take it in different size chunks. And I've got a lot of notes, but I'm going to try and get through it in a reasonable time. So uh, famous last words, right? So he says, verse chapter 18, he says, After this, John says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. He cried out mightily with a loud voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit and a haunt for every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And we'll stop there. So John says, after this, I don't know about you, but if I was John, John, I'd be overwhelmed by now. I would need the longest nap in history after all the things that John has seen, witnessed firsthand, heard from heaven, experienced. Uh, you know, he was just going about his day on a Sunday, trying to spend time with the Lord in the morning, worship and pray, and, you know, hope maybe he had some scriptures with him, and then Jesus had something greater for him. But this just keeps going for him, and it keeps going for us, and it's a lot to, to digest. 
And I think even if we were to go through Revelation again, we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of all the things we could talk about and look about and learn from, especially if I'm the one teaching. But I encourage you to, to not be afraid of Revelation. Like it says, there's a blessing in those who read it, blessing in those who hear it and who uh, share it. But um, it's just one thing after another, right? Um, and again, just for the perspective, uh, we know that a lot of Revelation, you see John in heaven, he'll see a vision in heaven, he'll be over the, by the throne, he'll see creatures, he'll look down at earth, see things happening on earth. But here he's, he's seeing it from earth's perspective. He's kind of been taken in the wilderness, he's down there, he's seeing these things happen. He says a voice from heaven, right? So his perspective is on earth, looking at Babylon, and this voice comes down and this angel comes out. And this angel says it's been given great authority. And I did a little word study here, and that word is power or exousia. I'm, I'm butchering that Greek uh, pronunciation there. But it means power of choice. It means liberty of doing as one pleases. It means physical and mental power. It means authority of influence, right of privilege, power of rule or government and jurisdiction. So this angel has been given to do great authority over Babylon. He's been given something to do that God, I'm sure, has been waiting for all of history to do, and that's allow final judgment to come upon this evil world system and this evil world city and the people who have come after it, right? That God is gracious and he holds back his judgment, but there's a righteousness to it that has to be executed here. But this angel is given power to destroy the world system. This world system, like we looked at last week, has been entrenched throughout all time in one form or another. And to take down the world system, as you or I know, you know, the little guy can go after the government sometimes. The, the guerrilla warfare can beat the large uh, military. But I don't think there's any way that any of us could ever take down this world authority. It's too entrenched. It only comes down to this last time. We can resist it, and America has resisted for many years. But uh, when uh, foundations are removed, we looked at last week, what can the righteous do? But this angel's given this a power, right? That this world uh, system really started in the garden. God made the world for man to, to rule over. It was, the title deed was given to man, so to speak, uh, to man and woman to take over the world, to take care of it, to be fruitful and multiply. But what did Satan do? Satan wanted to usurp that authority. So he tricked Adam and Eve, and basically he got the title deed to earth. So Satan has been in power, in charge of earth since then. Obviously, God is above it all. God is sovereign. I'm not trying to contest that at all. But if you look at the things of the world and things that happen in the world, people blame God all the time. But is it God's fault that sins in the world? No. If you look at the temptation of Jesus, Satan offered all the kings in the world that Jesus would just bow down to them. And Jesus said, that's not, he didn't say that's not true, right? He resisted Satan and said, you know, you're going to worship God alone. I'm not going to worship you, right? I know who God is. And that was easily refuted by him. But Jesus didn't contest the power that Satan had to give the kings of the world. That Satan puts it in people's hearts and minds and tempts people. And people are shackled with sin. And these things, we see a lot of conspiracy theories today, right? And a lot of them come true, scarily enough. But it's not always overt conspiracies. People are shackled and bound by sin. And Satan easily leads them along to do what he wants to do and organize what he wants to do because of that. Now, there's all other things we could layer on top of that, but that's what I want us to focus on today. But what comes there is that this angel and this message and this proclamation, this judgment comes direct from God. That this angel comes from uh, God's presence. The commentary talks about 
uh, he's illuminated, freshly illuminated from God's presence. If you think about Moses and, uh, and when he goes up to get the Ten Commandments, he's got to cover his face when he spends time with God because he's glowing. We have the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus reveals himself and he's glowing. It's this holy power, this holy light. Uh, and as we'll see in another chapter or two, that in the new heavens and new earth, there's no need for a sun because it's lighted up by God's glory, that God himself is the light source then. And the other night, you know, we've had all these uh, thunderstorms and uh, lightning storms come through. And I was out in the shop uh, on purpose because there was so much lightning. It was all over us. I went out there. I opened the door. I was going, wow, wow. I'm surprised they didn't hear me with the windows open. I was, you know, I sound like a fool out there just loving it. And then uh, I brought my wife and daughter out there. The other kids were sleeping. Meemaw didn't want to get wet, so she stayed inside. Uh, but it was just thrilling. And then they went inside, and I kept staying out there. But the lightning was so bright. It was so powerful. It was right overhead. It would, like, make me jump back just by seeing it. It would blind me for a second when I saw it. And it just illuminated everything i'm thinking wow you know you think about the thunders and lightnings that come out of god's throne and this is just earthly lightning i can't imagine this other light uh, but the whole earth is illuminated so this is supernatural light is what it says to me regular light doesn't bend them you know gravity in a black hole can bend it a little bit and scientists use that to see things about uh, outer space but regular light is not going to wrap around the whole earth right so this is, i believe this is a spiritual illumination that is illuminating the whole world right now because this is the end. And like Jesus said in Mark 13, 10, the gospel must be first preached to all the nations. That God wanted the light of heaven to go out to the whole world. And he did that through the Jewish nation. He did that through his son Jesus. He did that through the church and the influence of the Holy Spirit. But that's all gone now. And so he sent out angels preaching in the heavens to get people to turn in the last, last days when the deception was strong. He sent out the two witnesses, which the world promptly killed or they tried to kill, they couldn't kill, then God allowed them to be killed, and then they rejoiced, and they threw, had like a Christmas party and gave each other gifts when these prophets were killed, but then God brought them back to life, and the whole world kind of uh, lost their mind. But now I believe this is sort of God's last effort to say, this is my light, this is the truth, and the world begins to melt in the path of it. Because remember, God's truth is self-evident and made known to all the world. If we look at Romans 1, it's obvious. All creation speaks to God's glory. You know, I was talking with a new friend yesterday uh, just about science and how we can look at the two people can look at the same facts, hard facts, and one with a hard heart will say, there's no such thing as God. And the other one will say, this is absolute evidence for God. And I believe that there's not two truths. I believe that if you're honestly looking, all you're going to see is God. That's what the Bible says anyway. But that everyone is really given more than ample chance throughout life. That as long as there's breath, as long as your spirit is still inside your body. I don't care if you're brain dead. If your spirit's still in your body, I believe God is going to give you a chance to turn to him. You don't think that he's not going to show up to someone on their deathbed, that he's not going to try and reach someone or that person before they have that awful accident that God was trying to get their attention on the radio or through a friend or remind them just by the Holy Spirit of things they heard throughout their life. God is gracious for that, that there's always hope. And that's why we're not to condemn anyone doesn't mean that we don't judge right and wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't say that, hey, sin is wrong. This is bad. This, if you continue down this path, there's nothing but destruction for you and ultimately hell if you choose it. But at the same time, we can't say there's no hope for that person. Even Hillary Clinton, I hate saying her name. She could get saved tomorrow. I don't think she will. I think she might be Satan incarnate. Uh, but sincerely, anyone can be saved. And God, would you save Hillary Clinton? But every moment until death is an opportunity. I believe in some sense God is doing that here. 
And 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, God doesn't want anyone to wait. He especially doesn't want to wait them to wait until the end. Don't wait until after the rapture, folks. It's only going to be harder. It's only going to be worse. You're only going to be more deceived. God doesn't want anyone to put it off. So if that's you listening, don't put it off. Today is the day to turn to the Lord. But the proclamation of Babylon's fall, I want to make this clear, comes from heaven. That God is the one who allows nations to rise and nations to fall. God is the one who allows people to come to power and not to be in power. If you have a bad boss at work, believe it or not, God has allowed them to be your boss for that season of time. But it comes from heaven. That heaven allowed it to exist and heaven is allowing it and causing it to be destroyed. And the reasons why here, and we're going a little bit deeper here in the beginning than we will later, so bear with me before we get to more verses. But the reason why is that, number one, Babylon is a dwelling place of demons. You know, New York City, it's been said, the city that never sleeps. Chicago is the windy city. I don't know what they say about Helena, but I'm sure that there's a tagline for Helena. But for Babylon, whether they, it's on the sign when you enter or not, I don't know. It's the dwelling place of demons. That this city is not just a wicked city with sinful people, but that demons like being there. That demons probably even have an apartment there, so to speak. And that this is what this city is known for spiritually. Like I said, maybe people know, maybe they don't. Uh, but I have a feeling that during this time, based on the way the other scriptures are, based on the descriptions of this day and age and future history, is that they know full well what's going on. They knew full well who they're worshiping, who their allegiance is to. They, you know, I'm sure there's still a Bible floating around somewhere and they're totally aware. But the veil is torn in Revelation. Not only for us to see in heaven, but us to see in the future. And I believe also, you know, if you look back in the old days, right? Before the cross, when idolatry was a big deal in all societies, and it still floats around in other uh, cultures more evidently where they have an idol that they bow down to, right? It was like the spiritual things were very evident. And then due to the cross and due to the age of grace, we began to worship God more. And we realized that we can worship God in spirit and truth. And obviously God doesn't want idols. But Christianity started to wipe out idolatry in different places, right? Uh, and, you know, I'm making sort of a generalization, obviously, in the West and cultures and uh, under the influence of it. But we kind of don't really think that we have idols anymore in Western culture. You know, stuff's starting to come in, but the guy down the street probably doesn't have an idol in his house unless he's a Buddhist, right? But maybe he's worshiping his career. Maybe she's worshiping the way she looks. Maybe uh, they're worshiping their education or their intelligence and they're bowing down at these altars that may not be specific in your house. I mean, maybe, you know, you're bowing down at the TV in your house every night instead of spending time with the Lord. I don't know. But, you know, I'll talk about it for a second later, but we talk about even abortion, right? That the ancient practice of putting your child on a burning hands of an idol Molech and sacrificing them, what? So that you'd have prosperity? That the harvest would do well? What do people do now? They sacrifice their child. They have an abortion that they might continue their career. They might not have to be tied down with a family, so to speak. And thankfully, God has care for those children in heaven. But this is it. This is a spiritual evil place. This is hell on earth party the world is longing for. People are like, I can't wait to go to hell. Well, this is, this is that place. You, don't, you definitely don't want to go to hell. There's no party in actual hell. But this city is that Sinful party where everything goes. Sodom and Gomorrah was bad and destroyed for their sin, but the sin of this place is even worse, if you can imagine. And just to touch on that hateful bird comment, like, what, God doesn't like birds? No, God made the birds. But in Scripture, birds can be used for spiritual things. Birds for Noah, he sent out the, the ravens, but they sent out the dove, right? And the dove was the one that brought back hope 
Joseph's dream interpretations, the other guys, the birds came and plucked at them. The Holy Spirit is a dove. Uh, the birds of the air came and nested in the branches of the church, Jesus says, and that's not a good thing. But these kind of birds represents evil spirits, sin, and evil things. But number two, the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality. You know, we looked at last week, and that's a good thing to go back and look at to get better context here. But Romans talks about God's abandonment judgment. Just after he talks about the, the clarity of creation revealing God, he says the people willfully ignored that and pursued sin, and God turned them over to a debased mind, right? And that God turned them over to their sin and stepped back, and that's God's abandonment judgment. And some could even say that America is experiencing God's abandonment judgment now, that we have turned our back on God, and we have said, God, we don't want you in school. We don't want you in government. We don't want you in society. We don't want you in the family. And so God says, okay, because he's a gentleman. And God doesn't strike us down with a lightning bolt like Zeus. He steps back and lets our ways get the best of us. And we see that happening rapidly in our country today. That's abandonment judgment. God's saying, okay, have at it yourself. And his abandonment, his hand not being on us, is the judgment. Us falling apart on ourselves is the judgment, bearing it ourselves. And I believe that's part of what this is here, too. That these kings, these nations have taken part in their sexual abhorrence. They've bought into the doctrine. They've bought into the lifestyle. They've bought into this new religion of sin. And it's really bringing the wrath upon themselves. That it's the fruit of their own deeds, the fruit of their own doings that's taking, taking place here. Think Pride Month, but all year long. Taught in schools. Taught in worship. They worship the beast. They worship the Antichrist, right? Whenever that song plays, they bow down and worship that, that idol, that imagery there. It's codified in their law that he is God. He stepped into the Holy of Holies and said, all right, that's enough. No more religion. Worship me now. And so they've drunk this themselves. They've drunk it in. And remember, sexual immorality and adultery are equated with idolatry with the Lord. That when God uses a picture of adultery with Israel, it's always about idolatry. They've gone after false gods. And the world, the world system, has gone after Satan and gone after his Savior, the Antichrist. Number three, the kings of the earth committed adultery. Remember, her influence, like last week, goes from the top down. There's this spiritual doctrine of demons and all the elites buy into it and they start turning their governments towards it and all the people buy into it underneath from them. The rulers, the influencers, the leaders, everybody goes along with it. Um, and really, if these folks want the most power in life, the most influence, they have to be, be on board with this new world order, so to speak. They have to be on board with this ideology. They have to be on board with this spiritual, uh, I don't know what you call it, religion. They have to be in league with mystery and commercial Babylon. And well, look at the world today. Is that not the thing? You have to toe the line, the party line, so to speak, if you want to be the most successful in the world. And number four, merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Uh, businesses, economies, they're all global, right? And we're already there, but it's only going to get more intertwined, right? Um, you know, we talk about things going, sending everything over to China, but that, they do that on purpose because it's cheaper and they don't care about the things that China does the, under communism. But it's all tied to this system of power and this central location, this future capital of the world, right? Uh, maybe not in the Middle East, probably in Europe, could be multiple places, but um, think about even in our day and age, businesses, they change their social media icon during Pride Month, right? Everyone's gotta have it, otherwise you're not, a, you're not an acceptable business, but go look at those businesses, social media accounts in places like Saudi Arabia. They're not changing the icon there, they're doing whatever's expedient for them, but they're buying on to this 
world system, either to make money or because that's what they truly believe on the board of directors, I don't know. But make no mistake, globalism is about removing that national sovereignty. It's about removing uh, a nation's power, influence, um, and making it into this global community, right? And not that we shouldn't have allies, not that we shouldn't get along with other nations, but as we begin to do this, they're trying to say this can be this global community, this UN where every nation has a vote and it's all this democratic uh, harmony, right? But that's all going to happen. And then quickly, the Antichrist, as we've seen in other chapters, is going to rise up the power over that and take over it and become king of the world. So believe you me, it's not going to be this socialist utopia uh, down the road. Uh, you know, you'll own nothing. You'd be happy. Subscription services sound good, right? Uh, I don't oh I can I don't have to ever pay for a phone. I just pay 15 bucks a month and I get a new phone every two years or even the car companies have tried doing that. Well, I guarantee they're going to do that with electric cars when they come out. I don't maybe go on that tangent, but sincerely, they're going to want you to rent everything, subscribe to everything. Uh, you always have new stuff, but you're going to be a slave to it and you're not going to have any wealth anymore. All these businesses have switched to a subscription model because it makes them more money, right? I used to be able to buy a copy from my job of Photoshop. It'd be a lot of money. It was like 600 bucks even 20 years ago, right? But I own that copy. I could use that for perpetuity. Now they don't sell that anymore. They switched to a subscription model. You got to pay 100, 200 bucks a month to get every, everything in the suite, but you get it all. It's always up to date. But as soon as you don't pay that subscription, you don't have it anymore. And businesses sign up because it's always up to date and they have a revenue stream. But really, the wealth, where's the wealth gone? Where's the power gone? It's gone to the companies that control it. And I know that that's kind of a silly example, but this is the merchants of the world. They've all bought into this. They've all just wanted to become richer and richer and richer. They own everything and we own nothing. And this is going to be the decline of the secondhand car market. Again, I won't go off on all this. But my point is that remember that the mark of the beast is not only a spiritual allegiance to the Antichrist and a physical allegiance to a world government. It's built on the back of the financial system. And these are the guys involved in that. Uh, Revelation 13 reminds us of that. And just keep your ear to the ground, people, about ESG, environmental social governance, a social credit score, even diversity and inclusion. It sounds great on the surface. But this is all China stuff. This is all communist stuff. This is all control over you and me, what we spend, what we can't. And it's all leading to this mark, right? And we can resist it, and we should resist it for a time. But at some point, after the rapture, the world's going to go, oh, I'll know where my kids are at all times and the rapture can never happen again. You know, whatever happened, you know, whatever they believe it is, they'll think that they have safety and security and Proverbs warns us against that. But remember, for all these things, and because all these things are intertwined, this judgment is coming upon the world system and this final world city. And we like to think things are not interrelated, especially us men. We like to compartmentalize in our minds. We put work over here, we put family over here, we put our golf game or whatever it is over here and there's a separation there but there's really not it's just i don't know we're just not as smart as you ladies to be able to handle it and put everything together but that's the same thing in the world that there's not a separation of church and state what you worship what you buy what you say what you do what how you work how you vote is all related you just look at the world now there's no way you can say that i believe that a baby is born a, a life at conception and then vote totally pro-choice like they would in California. There's, there's, there's no correlation there. If there is, there's a total disconnect in you. And that goes for everything, right? And again, there shouldn't be a separation of that. And that was the big trick to try and get out God's influence out of government, out of society. Uh, what it should be, it should be the government's influence out of personal life, out of your personal worship, not your personal worship 
out of uh, governmental influence. But let's go on. Verse 4 through 8 says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. And that's the title of today's message. Come out of her, my people. Lest you partake in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached up to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her as she has rendered to you. Repay her double for her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mix a double portion for her to the extent that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. So give her torment and sorrow. For in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen and am no widow, and I will see no sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The Lord God who judges her. And all this happens because God is stronger than all of this. But the first thing the voice says, another voice comes from heaven. It says, come out of her, my people. I believe it's God's voice, maybe the Holy Spirit's voice, maybe Jesus' voice. But it says, come out of her, my people. And God calls his people out of this final system. That somehow, maybe there's still people straggling and left behind and, and hidden in there and, and making their way through this world time. Uh, very hard, I'm sure. But that this is really the end here, and it's time for believers to get out. Like we mentioned before, the rapture and before the judgments, um, you know, before we do an airstrike, we're so gracious and merciful to the terrorists that we put out banners and drop them from the plane saying, we're going to strike tomorrow and such and such date to try and protect innocent life to get them out. And that's what God's doing. He said, guys, get out of here. Get out. You, know, you remember Enoch before the flood. Enoch walked with God and was no more. And God saved Noah and his family, but everyone else perished. Sodom and Gomorrah, God came down, wanted to hear for himself, sent the angels in. They tried to get Lot out. Lot was still hanging on. His, his sons-in-law wouldn't come out. His wife turned around, right? But God wanted his people out of the city before he brought judgment. God doesn't want any part of judgment for you. And it's a big part of why I believe in the rapture is described in Scripture as the church leaving before the judgment. Because the judgment is not for you and I who have put our judgment on Christ, Right? And I could argue and I can see points for the other, other things. I just, I think that this, this doctrine lines up most with the heart of God, in my opinion. But also the Jews at the abomination of desolation. Jesus said, remember, when you see the abomination of desolation, don't even go home and get your stuff. Immediately go out in the wilderness and run away. And it's going to be rough. It's in winter and you're pregnant. Um, that when Satan steps into, the Antichrist steps into the temple. But really, 1 Peter 1.16, I don't remember if we quoted it last week, but it says, Be holy, for I am holy. That God doesn't want his people to have any part with this world system. God understands when we have to navigate our way through in an honest, godly way to be able to make our money in the world and have a job and, and do all these things. But God doesn't want us to be a part of it as the world is a part of it. And he says this because lest you partake in her sins and receive her plagues. That if they stay behind after this point in time, they have no choice but to sin. That there's no way for them to stay at their job and stay, stay a Christian and be obedient to God. That every choice they're going to have to make to continue, other than just obeying the voice of God to leave, right? You know, in work, there's, I was really worried last year when different things happened and they were trying to bring in this other indoctrination and, you know, obviously I can't go along with it, so I'm going to lose my job, right? And I feel bad for all the people who were so worried about losing their job for a vaccine that they took that vaccine, not really knowing the total long-term effects of it, good or bad, and just took it because they were afraid of losing their livelihood. And now the world's like, okay, you don't really need it anymore. Like, you know, there comes a point when we're going to have to quit our jobs. 
we're going to have to lose our friends. We're going to have to lose our family. We're going to have to lose our livelihoods and what's comfortable for us in order to remain holy. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians fall by the wayside for that because it's easy. It's hard. That's a hard choice to make. Feeding your kids or doing the right thing. But he says, or receive her plagues. That God doesn't want the plagues to come on either. There's no choice, but you're going to receive everything that comes upon this wicked city if you don't get out of it now, just like Lot. You know, the, uh, talking about in the world, but not of it. And John, you know, that Jesus didn't pray for us to be off the earth, but safe from the evil one. And Paul says you'd have to leave the earth to get away from sin, but again, just not to be of it. But again, there's, it's, it's too late now. There's no more option to remain on earth, remain involved in society, and be of God. I don't know if God takes his people out here and, you know, based on this and they come back. But, you know, Revelation kind of tends to overlap and talk, uh, zoom out and zoom in and talk close and then talk large. I don't know if this is talking about the people riding back with him in the end on the horses because he's talking about them bringing judgment on, on there. The martyrs in heaven finally having their time uh, to uh, have their uh, judgment avenged from a few chapters ago. But remember, just like the judgment for the city wasn't created for God's people, hell was not created uh, for man. The hell was created for the angels who rebelled against God. It was not our destination. Satan's deception is to drag people with him there because Satan hates you and I, and he hates God. He knows that's the only way he can really hurt God is by bringing someone to hell with him. And remember, if anyone goes to hell, it's their choice. They've been told to get out. They've been told to flee the judgment to come. And he said, no, it's too much fun. I like it, or the God's not real, whatever it is, all those schemes of Satan. But remember, it's not God's fault. And people use that, Satan will use that to trick people, say, if God was loving, why would he send anyone to hell? Well, the truth is he doesn't send anyone to hell. He gave them a way out at the cross. That if anyone goes to hell, it's because they love their sin more than they love God. And remember Genesis, like we said, God went down to verify the report that came up to heaven about Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jesus came down to earth already. He walked on earth for 33 years. He knows what earth is like. He knows what people are like. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. Well, the world's not really different. Yeah, we have cell phones now but and cleaner water, but the world is the same. Man's heart is the same. John 2, 24 through 25, Jesus did not commit himself to them, he says, because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. God knew what was in their hearts. God knows what was in our hearts, and then he still gives us time to turn. But this city, this spirit, this, uh, you know, we look at Proverbs as identified as a woman and wise, and this is identified as a woman here too. No offense to any women. God loves women. Don't get me wrong as what I'm about to say. But she says, I sit as queen and am no widow, right? Like she's got that attitude about her. Uh, Ash and I got to go on a date the other night for the first time in so long. Thank you, Mima. And one of the previews was for a movie and the title of the movie, the movie, maybe it's fine, but the movie was called Woman King. And I go... Isn't that just a queen? <laughs> like, why does it got to be woman king? You know, well, go all the way back to Genesis. The desire of Eve would be to rule over her husband, Adam. And that's the spirit of, like, wrong feminism, right? I'm all for women voting. I'm all for women having rights because women are people, just like men are people. But the spirit of feminism, which is, like, overreaching, overarching, and just wanting to destroy masculinity so much that it's... I don't know, it's so blind. Like, women want to become men nowadays. Like, I thought men were the enemy, right? Like, I, I don't understand it. You know. Uh, but they have no need for man, and ultimately, they have no need for God. That Babylon is as feminist in a way as it gets. 
but really, the point that I want to make out of this is that, and I think the scripture would allude to it, is that all people are at this city's disposal. The city doesn't care about anybody. The city only cares about itself. The system only cares about itself. And it will use any person, any creed, any color, any nation to get what it wants, right? Just like, uh, you know, just like a bad date will use you to take you out and take all your money, right? That's the way it is, right? But that will be a meat grinder for all of humanity. They will use and abuse people, even as those people cheer, as they are being used and abused. They will march along to the same tune and say, yes, use me and abuse me. Oh, great, queen of Babylon. But we're all equal at the cross. Remember, Galatians 3.28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Right? There's different roles and responsibilities, but we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And you can see how we're so close to the end how Satan is perverting everything. He's even trying to make this his own in his own way, that there's no difference between man and female, that you can be whatever you want, you identify as whatever you want. And that's a doctrine of demons. Demons love that. Why? Because it destroys people. It destroys children. Just look at the news about the hospitals that want to do this to young children. Let's continue. Verses 9 and 10 says, uh, the kings of the earth who have committed adultery and live luxurious with her will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, they will say, Alas, alas, for the great city, that mighty city Babylon, in one hour your judgment has come. And we'll stop there for now. Again, these kings, it says that they lived in adultery and lived luxuriously. That this ruling class made so much money off of this system. This ruling class separated itself so much from the average person based on this world system that is only growing and getting worse. And uh, I, I believe we're seeing it happen in our day and age. You remember in Revelation 6, 6, when there was famines and things coming on the land, they said, it's going to cost you a day's wages to get a little bit of bread, but don't harm the oil and wine. Well, the rich are still going to be rich and we're all going to go through a great depression, so to speak. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And not that I subscribe or think the Bible subscribes to the modern idea of equity. I think that's a doctrine of demons as well, right? Uh, until Jesus comes back, nothing's going to be perfect. Until Jesus comes back, there will never be a perfect redistribution of wealth. Redistribution of wealth is really stealing from one person to give to someone else. You can't force um, charity. But sin in everyone's lives prevents that. It's our own selfishness. Sin in the world, just the fact that the world is broken and sin exists, prevents that as well. But these folks took every advantage. They had sweatshops in China. They used the mark to control people. They controlled economies and manipulated currencies and did whatever they could so they could get richer and they could have more power and they could all be in cahoots together. And I know this sounds like I'm reading the news, but we're almost there. We're almost in the final form, I believe. But these folks, the merchants, the kings, as we'll see, they weep and mourn. And we haven't seen them weep and mourn throughout all of Revelation. Billions of people have died. They've received judgment. Their family members have died. Asteroids have fallen. They have had torment and disease. War. But they never wept and mourned over that. They wept and mourned over this city, this system, this thing that they've worshipped. Failing. Like I said, they only blaspheme God. You know, 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
Again, not that a Christian can't be rich, not that a Christian shouldn't be rich. I mean, look, David, Solomon, Abraham, Moses, uh, even some uh, like Matthew, the tax collector. But they love God first and they use their riches for his glory, right? The Bible talks about that. But man, when we get off and want just want to be rich, just want to have more, we begin to, there's always, I, I said it before, there's always a sacrifice, whether it's your children, whether it's time with your spouse, whether whatever it is, there's, sometimes we have to make those sacrifices to make work happen, right? Like working odd shifts, right? Sometimes you have to do that. That's part of, you know, just part of the way the world works. I had to work 11, you know, yeah, I'm at a computer, right? It's not that tough of a job, but I had to work 11 hour days this week in order to get done what I need to get done. If that was all the time, maybe I would search something else out, but man, seeking that money, we all know, we all know what we're talking about there. But it says the smoke of her burning, that this is a judgment from God. I believe it's a culmination of all these other events we looked at, the global earthquake, the level cities. But again, like I said, Revelation kind of goes back and forth and zooms in and out and shows different perspectives on events. Um, and I think based on Revelation 17, in a sense, they did this to themselves. They purposely destroy the foundations of the systems that made them wealthy. They think they're doing the right thing by bringing in all these legislations and putting their hand on the market again, like California making gas cars illegal by 2035, if they can even do that, right? They're, they're not ready for it. It'll destroy their system. Whole nother tangent there, but they're doing these things in pursuit of this ideology and it's eventually going to lead to their own destruction. Um, Revelation 17 talks about the nations turning on this world system. And again, I think this judgment could be from heaven directly, but also indirectly, you know, like we talked about before, eating the fruit of their own wickedness. But I want to point out is that it's said over and over that they, they stand afar off. Um, you know, is the city contaminated? Is it nuclear? Is it biological? There's a lot of scripture that talks about events like that that could happen by the way people react. But if you remember 9-11, I remember it because we lived in the area. Uh, people rushed, people were fleeing the city, but first responders, the military, the president all rushed in to uh, ground zero to help, but not here. They all stand far off. Again, is that because it's contaminated, but is it also maybe just because the heart of men has become totally corrupt and dishonorable? Even if they could do something, they wouldn't do something. They wouldn't put themselves at risk to help someone else, right? The love of many will grow cold in the last days. They'll just take out their phone and record it. <laughs> instead of stopping the fight on the subway. Well, let's go on. We got a little bit more to cover and I'm going to try and get us through. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of, just to stop there. Remember the, there is the, the girl who's possessed and told it was a fortune teller and acts. I believe it was Paul and the guys got the demon out of her. And then the people were mad. Her owners were mad at them because they freed her from the demon because they couldn't make money anymore. Similar, similar heart here. The merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet, all kinds of scented wood. I don't, I don't know. Do you guys buy scented wood? Maybe that's a, a womanly thing. I don't know. Are all artifacts of ivory, all merchandise of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon and incense, myrrh and frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, and souls of men. The fruit of your soul lusted after has departed from you. And all the things which graceful and exquisite, uh, all the things which are graceful and exquisite have departed from you, and you shall never find them. The merchants of these things which gained wealth by her will stand far off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was arrayed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with precious gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great things came to nothing. And there's a lot of stuff there that I don't know that we need to dig into today. 
But the merchants weep and warn, again, not for the loss of life, but for the loss of revenue, that this perfect world system of marketing, social justice, one world government coming together has failed them and has ultimately come to ruin and they're out of control to do anything about it. And not only is it in ruin, but everyone who's involved in it is ruined from it as well. Um, you know, also spiritual goods. If we look at the things they're selling there, we could talk about frankincense and myrrh, right? But the worst part, slavery and the souls of men. That this city's chief uh, economy was slavery and the souls of men. And slavery still exists today. Sweatshops, caste systems, sex trade. I've got some things in the notes here that you could look at. But for every 10,000 people living in the world, 54 become enslaved in some form of human... Oh, 54, that's not a lot, but... Most people who are victims of human trafficking are female, 71%. To make it worse, 25% of all the victims are children who are in forced labor, sex trafficking, and even forced marriage. And this is from a podcast I listen to. There's a link if you want to check it out. It's only a portion of it. There's adult language in it. These guys are former military, right? And one of them has tried to do work with sex trafficking stuff. And he said, I, can't, I just can't do it anymore. Um, but children are groomed on Discord, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and they're being taken. I know this sounds like conspiracy theory, but this is it. Uh, he's talked to mothers. It's a $480 billion industry. Every, he says every star, you could buy every Starbucks, you could buy every NBA team, and you could put every, kid, every American kid through college every year for the cost of the slave trade. And he also starts to hint at the logistics that run this. Why do we not hear about it? Why is it not all over the news? Why are there not larger task force? Because think about the type of logistics that would have to be to run a $480 billion industry. How entrenched is it? Why have we heard about documents taken from Trump's house, but we don't have the client list of Jeffrey Epstein? She was the, what, Ghislaine, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell? She was the first person put in jail for trafficking nobody, right? Like, I know it sounds conspiracy theory, guys, but it's not. 18,000 kids missing in 2021 under CPS care. 18,000 kids, a whole town of children under government care taken. Other nations, like we do with, with uh, uh, the AIM ministry, parents selling them in other countries in Southeast Asia because they can't afford to live anymore. They sell their children into sexual slavery. I will go on, but just think about that. 840,000 last year. There's a trick, you know, like those little cable boxes at the end of the road or a power box. You know, your husband probably knows about them. They have a trick. I don't know if it's a fake one or not, but they'll hide in that and wait for a kid to come by and open up and grab them every day. You want to let your kid walk home from school? I will not let my kid walk home from school. I won't put my kid in government school. That's a different story. And I know we're getting late here on time, so let me try and get through. But that's a big deal, that this is a wealthy city that talks about linen, purple, and scarlet. Remember that these were purple and scarlet were expensive colors, colors of uh, the wealthy, colors of ruling. And we looked last week, Mystery Babylon, what was she clothed in? Purple and scarlet, the beast was red, the colors of wealth and of government. And again, just to talk about that last one real quick, most of this stuff happens in small towns. Why? Because they can get away with it. Because small towns don't have the budget. Cartels are smart. But it's fleeting wealth. It goes away. In one hour, it's all gone. Act of God or nuclear attack or both at the same time in an hour. What, when else in history could a city be wiped out in an hour? It would take days. Not in our time. Hiroshima, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Stock market collapse. Crypto market collapse. One day, we go from the roaring 20s into the depression of the 30s. All in one hour. Let's go on. 17 through 20. 
Uh, all sea captains and seafaring men, sailors and all who trade by sea, stood far off and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like this great city? And they threw dust in their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which had all the great ships of the sea, and we grew rich from her wealth. In one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and saints and apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you against her. I feel like these sailors began to get it. Remember the sailors on Jonah's ship? They turned to God. Uh, I don't know if they did or not, but it's interesting that they, they call in heaven and they realize what's going on there. That's a, I think that's a heavenly thing there. Um, but again, these people mourn like folks do over a loss of a loved one for this evil city. Remember, this city was full of demons and the world is mourning over it. And again, martyr's blood, persecuted peoples found in the city are the ones who bring avengement on it uh, from God's perspective. That's why he's doing it. Verse 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, With such violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flute players, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be uh, heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who were slain on the earth. It's interesting that these angels throw a great millstone into the ocean, right? And again, another reason why this isn't the Babylon of the Bible, as far as, I mean, Babylon of ancient times in the Bible, um, because it was on a river. This is obviously as seafaring access here, and that could just be, you know, not necessarily it's on the water, but it has power over global commerce. But they throw a millstone. And what did Jesus say in Luke 17? He said, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should defend one of these little ones. But these little ones who are sold into slavery, these little ones who are hurt by the education system, who are hurt by people claiming to be religious folks, it's better for them to have a giant rock, giant concrete block like the mob would do and thrown into the bottom of the ocean. But that's what they do here. They say this city is a global trade, a global economy, a global business center. And they throw, in a sense, a symbol of that into the water. They throw a millstone, something that would grind wheat, right? They throw that into the water uh, as part of the judgment here. Uh, is that the actual thing that destroys the city? Maybe spiritually. Um, you know, I don't know. Revelation is going to be an interesting time when things spiritual are visible like we talked about. But it says that this city, city shall be found no more. And you can go around the whole world and dig up cities and find ancient civilizations. It's a way to prove the Bible and disprove other religions that think that were, <laughs> there were all sorts of civilizations here in North America and South America that just weren't there, despite their holy book talking about it. But man, uh, the city has to be destroyed before Jesus comes back. There can be no evidence of the city. It has to be turned into dust. You know, Jesus says, anyone who falls on me will be broken. But if I fall on them, they'll be pulverized, right? And that's this wicked city is going to be pulverized. Uh, No more partying, partying, no more business, no more agriculture, no more trade, no more celebrating, no more worship concerts. It's over. This is the crux of it all. For your your, uh, merchants were the great men of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. 
Do I need to, to touch on, on illicit drug use? Because that's sorcery. That's what the Bible describes as pharmakia, sorcery. But this city was a wicked city. It went out and deceived the nations. It tricked them into following Satan. It tricked them into turning from the living God and walking like the Pied Piper to their own death. And the city, uh, they found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. This city loved to kill the saints. This global system hated Christians, hated righteousness, hated the nuclear family, so to speak. Hated all people. Hated blood was, you know, we talk about ancient Rome and the the Colosseum and how they would have gladiator fights and they would thrive on blood. And we talk about our society and the violence that we espouse in it, um, right? But this city loved the blood of people and it rejoiced no greater than the sacrifice of human sacrifice. And deceit was the key. Everyone was deceived through and through. Every practice, every motive, deceit and deception both for the person doing the deceiving and the receiver. They both had bad motive. And again, just real quick, a connection between gas, uh, between deceit and demons. And that should tell you a lot about our day and age, right? That, man, demons love, <laughs> that's, what the, that's what Satan does. That's what demons do. They want to deceive us. And God wants to give us the truth. He's the way, the truth, and life. I mean, we talk about our government gaslighting us, deceiving us to our faces. There's no inflation in July. But then let's pass an Inflation Reduction Act, which has nothing to do with reducing inflation. It's all deception. All of it. And the city, again, is responsible, and it reveled in killing Christians. Remember how they, they rejoiced when the prophets were killed. Again, it's the, the end of it all, really, I think is what was said earlier in verse 4. Come out of her, my people. We're not there yet, but we're in a time that's dark, it's deceitful, it's full of evil things we should not be associated with it as christians doesn't mean that we don't go to work doesn't mean that we don't do what we have to do at the supermarket or have friends or reach the world but we should not be a part of it and if our job is asking us to do something that leads others to destruction that is um compromising to our own faith we need to come out of it we need to leave it i had to quit a job in the past because they wanted me to work on stuff that i did not want to work on and i'm thankful that i have a job now that i can work on stuff that's relatively wholesome but there's going to come a day when I'm not going to be able to avoid it. And I guarantee there's going to be a day when I'll have to change jobs. Hopefully not. But because of the way the world system is. And, and know this, that when God calls you to come out, it's because he's calling you to go to get something greater. Know that God knows if, if you're going to lose your job, he's got a better plan for you. Maybe a bumpy road, maybe a harder road. But I guarantee the, the peace of having a little of righteousness, like Proverbs talked about, is better than having vast wealth and distress of spirit. Amen? So God, thank you for your word and thank you for the patience of all those who listened so long. But God, we ask that you would uh, help us to come out of the things in our life that are not holy, to hang on to you and be willing to sacrifice what's not worth it for the things that are worth it. And God, we pray that you would bless um, all those here and all those who are here, take care of our family and all their needs um, across the nation. We love you, God. Come back soon. But God, do bring our nation to repentance that we would be found as a light and full of faith when you do return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.